0: Turn with me to Chapter Five of Ephesians. We'll get there in a minute, but we began two weeks ago. Uh, I want to say thank you to to Jake English. He is a great communicator, a great teacher of god's word i was I, I I hated missing a Sunday with you, but but you were in good hands with with Jake English, and um I thought about just asking him to go ahead and jump into First Corinthians seven for me and let him deal with that, but I figured I wouldn't do that to him. So I'll come back and I'll take the whippings and I'll take the, the brunt of the emails and all that. So we'll save Jeff for, I mean, save uh, Jake from that. But we we began a study two weeks ago. We are in First Corinthians and uh, we we are approaching chapter seven. And again, there there's much much. Unfortunately, there's much disagreement um, over 1 uh, Corinthians seven. There is much disagreement in the in the Christian uh, community. Uh, regarding divorce, remarriage, and things like that. I, I will tell you that theologically, uh, it's somewhere between no, none, never, and adultery and abandonment by a non-believer. It's somewhere in between there. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we've, we've kicked that door open a little wider, as is, as is common. You crack the door a little bit, and we tend to sling it wide open. And, and that's unfortunate. And... Um, I say unfortunate not because I'm diminishing, it's just the people, it's just that the, the, with respects to the glory of God, with respects to our testimony to a lost world, with respect to the, the sanctity of, of marriage and what God has designed. And I said before we, before we just jump into 1 Corinthians 7, we, we, need to have a great, we need to have a better understanding, we need to have, be on the same page with regards to what it is we're talking about when we talk about marriage. Is it just a contract? Is it is it just two people who think, "Hey, well, we'll 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 join forces as long as things are working out, as long as it's good for me, we'll join forces, we'll we'll join incomes, and that'll be better for us, and we'll just move forward together." And if something happens, we d-. is that what marriage is? Is it just two people living together? You know, I I had a, a someone not here, but somebody outside the church called me and posed a question. A friend of mine has, was asked this question, and so they they called me and, and got me involved. Somehow, uh, that was kind of like the story of my week, phone calls getting me involved in stuff that I really don't want to be involved in, quite frankly. Um, I, I will tell you, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching this today with, with somewhat of a, uh, a heavy heart, expecting a a phone call this afternoon regarding something that I'm going to be involved in that I do not want to be involved in at all. And and there's something possibly happening at a church this morning that depending on what happens, it could be messy. And it all revolves around marriages. It all revolves around the sanctity of the vows that we took. It all revolves around the fidelity to the vows that we took. And unfortunately, the, the enemy is attacking marriages. It's not just in the pew. This is, this is a pulpit issue. I, I, I'm going I'm to be involved in something for the next whoever knows how long with a pastor. And his wife. And infidelity. And, and, and not only on her part, but on his part. And, and Satan, Satan, hear me. Satan seeks to kill, to steal, and destroy. 1 Peter 5, 7, that he prowls around like a roaring lion lion looking for somebody to devour. This, This is one thing I know about Satan. He wants to destroy my relationship with Karen Basham. This is one thing I know about every single one of you. He wants to destroy your relationships as well. He wants to. Because the testimony of our great God is at stake. And our ability to share about this great God whom we love and serve is at stake. This is not just a game. This is not just something trivial. The world has been very, and Satan has been very effective at confusing us with regards to what marriage is. of, Of dumbing marriage down to the lowest common denominator. Of us treating it... Uh, just casually uh, of us not understanding that the way that, I, he, the way that I love Karen is to be a picture of the way that Jesus Christ loves the church. And, and I'll be the first to tell you, I, I have failed miserably at that at times. I, I failed miserably. By the grace of God, Karen forgives me. But, but that's the picture too. That's the picture too. And so we need to understand what it is we're dealing with here. And, and, and just like I said in, in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, there's a, there's, a, there's a context. Paul sets the stage for what he... he from chapter 7 on, he's going to address some questions that the Corinthian people wrote to him and they were inquiring about. And he's going to answer their questions. But but when I tried to, to start last week, the first two points, the, the right question is not, is it lawful? The question is, is it profitable? Is it good for the gospel? See, is it lawful? That's a self-centered question. Is it profitable? That's a gospel-centered question. See, we need to be a people who think more about what we're doing and how it affects our relationship to our Heavenly Father, but not only that, how it affects the picture of the Gospel in and through our lives. We need to think more about that than we do about ourselves. We need to be a people who, are, who think more about, just like 1 Corinthians 6, 19, he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Every single day, Satan wants to confuse that and he wants me to forget that. I'm not my own. I belong to Jesus Christ. I have been bought with a price. You know what he says? Verse 20, you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. The fight that I fight every day, the fight that you fight every day is this. Do I do what I do because it's best for Chris? Or do I do what I do because it's best for the gospel? That's the challenge. Do do I love Karen or do I seek to love Karen the way that I seek and desire to love Karen because it's good for Chris? Or do I seek to love her because it's good for the gospel? Do I only seek to do that as long as she responds in sort of a reciprocal nature? Hey, I'll do my part as long as you do your part. Or do I do my part regardless of whether she does her part? And unfortunately, she does her part better than I do my part a lot of times. Let the record state that. But the stakes are huge. The stakes are huge. The, the, question, the question I ask myself and we ought to ask ourselves is, is, is not how, clo- how, how, how close can I get to the edge without falling over. This, this is essentially the question that we ask. That we, We're not bold enough to ask God this it would be like this, what if I went up to Karen and said, hey, how, how many nights can I stay out, all, can I just stay out and do my own thing? How many nights a week can I do that and we still stay married? Would, would, would that be a good marriage? But, but that's essentially what we say to God sometimes. How, how close to the line, how much sin can I get involved with, how near can I get it and you still love me? Instead of hey Karen, how much of Chris can I abandon, and seek your happiness, and not worry about the results? How much of Chris can I get away, and how can, how much of me can I give up for you, and trust God with the results? That, that's what marriage is. It, it's a, it's a husband giving up of himself. It's a picture of Christ who gave himself up and died for his bride. That's marriage. That's the husband's role. The wife's role is to submit to that man. And again, 1 Peter 3 says, not only to those who are good, but to those who are bad. You say, oh, well, Karen's married to a pastor. Lucky for her. I bet she'd have a little different answer sometimes. It ain't no joy to be a pastor's wife. Beyond that, it's not a joy to be Chris's wife sometimes. (laughs) It's not easy. But, but here's one thing we know. There's something greater that's at stake than just mine and her happiness. There's something greater that's at stake. And, and we need to work this out before we start talking about just breaking something up or not. And hear me, I said it last week. I understand that this, this is a, a touchy subject. This is a an emotionally charged subject. And, and I'm not immune to it. I, I live in a family... That every single one of my every single one of my mom and dad's siblings have gone through divorce at least once. It's real to me. I, I got some of my best friends have walked through it. It's very real to me. I'm not immune to it. I'm not immune to the circumstances. I've I lost friendships over this. I, 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 I damaged relationships. The Wednesday before I left last week, I sat down with breakfast with a guy. And it wasn't fun. He basically just quit on his family. And, and the stakes are huge. And last week, two weeks ago, we, we started by answering the question. I said, I want to give you four questions to answer. Four questions. We looked at the first Two we answered the question, what is marriage? By looking at Ephesians 22 through 33, we answered the question, what is marriage? And we said that these verses teach us that marriage is a parable of Christ's relationship to his church. God could have designed marriage any way he wanted and he had his son's relationship to the church in mind. And forgive me, for some reason, we ran out of some copies, so some of your horizons didn't have notes and uh, by the time I realized that this morning, I couldn't do anything about it. So please, please forgive me if, if, uh, if you got a horizon that didn't have the notes. So forgive me on that. God designed marriage to be a picture of His Son. To, to be a picture of Christ and His relationship to His bride, the church. That my marriage is to tell the world what Christ's relationship and His marriage to His bride looks like. That's, that's the design. That, that's what marriage is. It's a parable. It's a living, breathing parable. Every day, I am living out a parable to the world around and and how I love my wife. And and what we learned about marriage, again, it was a picture of the covenant-keeping loyalty of God the Father and His Son to His bride, and that's the picture. God's love for us is beyond compare. And we ought to have a view of marriage that's the same. We, We can't trivialize marriage without in some ways trivializing the gospel. You demean marriage, and you are telling the world a lesser view of how Christ loves His bride. Whether you mean to or not. If you demean marriage. And it is something to be defended and, 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 and treasured. And the second question that we looked at two weeks ago was who designed marriage? And we said that God designed marriage foundationally, marriage is God's doing. And and that's what we must see right off the bat. It it is is God's doing. And and I shared the story of of an appraiser. Who made something changes everything about the value. Who made it? If I paint something or Leonardo da Vinci could paint the same thing, guess whose is going to be more valuable? Leonardo's. Why? Because his name is on it. And and our marriages, God's name is written all over our marriages. And marriage gets its value because God designed it. He created it. Everything about marriage, we said, points to something greater. And it's Christ's relationship to the church. And when we start messing around with marriage, we're treading on sacred ground. Sin, sin did not destroy it. Sin, sin did not make it what it is today. Simply made God, sin simply made God's commands and desires for marriage more difficult. And you see it immediately in Genesis 3. Husband, it said, you can look to Genesis 3. Husbands, because of sin, you're going to lead poorly. Guilty. Guilty. Ten years of marriage, I have led poorly at times. Guess what? Wives, because of sin... And because of your husband's poor leadership, you know what you're going to desire? You're going to desire to overtake that knucklehead. You're going to take the reins. And you're going to try to usurp his authority. See it every day. Wives trying to be the husbands because the husband's not being the husband. And no wife. You're, you're, my, Karen, hear me this. I, and I'm not saying this. Karen is so much better at so many things than I am. But that's the way God designed it. Because together the two of us make one whole she's so much better and god designed it that way she's my helper she's not my replacer and and how how we love and how we follow is a big deal the gospel is that is that and sin has twisted not only man's leadership but it's twisted woman's submission and we don't like to hear those words but we got to understand that what we're dealing with is something so much greater. It's so much greater than, ju- than just two people going through life together and sharing a bank account and sharing a roof. And, and maybe if they're fortunate to have a few kids. It's so much greater. So much greater. So, so I want to try to finish today with a couple more questions and help us see this. And again, I, I am, hear me. I am pro-marriage. That's why we're doing marriage for life. The one topic I love more than anything to study more than anything. there are more books on my shelves in there than any other topic is marriage, because it's important, because it's valuable, because at the sacredness of that marriage societies rise and fall on the, on the sanctity of a home, on how they treat families. And a lot is at stake. It doesn't make me an expert. I am for marriage, therefore I'm against, hear me, I'm not against the individuals, but I'm against anything that attacks the sacredness of that home. We live in a world that's marred by sin, I get that, and I can't cover every instance. But what I do want us to do is understand the ideal. I want to hold the bar up here so that even if we get to here, that's better than staying being okay with here. You hear me? I'm not against anybody. I I am simply trying to hold the bar, hold the goal, hold the picture of marriage as high as possible, hold that staff as high as possible, that we will seek the best. I want us to be a people that seeks the best, that's not satisfied with just staying together, because that doesn't glorify God either. So let's let's ask the tough questions. Again, this is heavy for our visitors. You've jumped in in the middle of a heavy... Um, series and 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 I hope you'll you'll see through everything to hear my heart. As we walk through this, I, I want Godliness for us. I don't want us to settle for anything less. So the third question I want us to answer today is this: Why was marriage designed as it was? What is marriage? Who designed it? But thirdly, why why was marriage designed as it was? And ultimately, here's the underwriting truth: Ultimately. Marriage was designed by God and it was primarily exist for God's glory. We've got to get that, we've got to get settled on that. Ultimately, it was God's design. We've seen that. But marriage exists primarily for God's glory. If we're honest, I guarantee you that was the last thing you were thinking about when you got married. I had the the privilege of teaching Anthony Jones's class two weeks ago and I asked, hey, guys, just be honest. Why did you get married? Not a single person said for God's glory. And you know what? If you'd have asked Chris Basham 10 years ago on June 28th, God's glory would have, you'd have had to keep asking me and probing me and probing me and probing me, and probing me to get to God's glory. Because nobody ever taught me. Nobody ever showed me. It, it, was, it was about me. It was about my, it was about my needs. It was about things I wanted. It was, the thing, it was, it was all about me. I had no clue what I was doing. And you're probably, if you're honest, glorifying God was last, if he even was on the list. But but if we connect again what we saw in Genesis two twenty four, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, with what we saw in Ephesians 5, you begin again to see that marriage points to something deeper and more permanent than we can ever imagine. It points to something. It, it, is, it is designed by God to point the people around us that see our marriage, to point them to Christ and His relationship to the church. What what God calls us for, and we'll see it later, what God calls me to do in marriage and Karen to do in marriage and all throughout the Bible, it's it's not just this random list, it's a reflection of His character. Through how I love Karen and through how she responds to that loving lead, we're displaying to the world God's character. Literally, God's character is on display. And look with me at Ephesians 5, 32. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Paul says, hey, it's a mystery. He, he's just quoted Genesis two twenty four. He says in verse 31, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. People are like, what? He says, hey, that's a mystery. I get it. Male leadership, husband-wife fellowship. You think it was strange in today's world? Think about in Paul's day. It was even more strange. And Paul right there interprets everything. He says, this mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. And what God is doing through me and how I lead Karen and and Karen and how she follows me and doing the same thing in all of your marriages, he is preparing in you a bride for his son, Jesus Christ. Please hear that. He is preparing you. He is growing you in Godliness, you in sanctification. Romans 8, he's growing you to a likeness of Christ. He's doing all that in me. Why? Because one day he is going to present you and I to his son as his bride. You get that? One day you will be presented to Jesus Christ as his bride. Look, Look what Paul says and Paul speaks to that. Look at verse 25 of Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. And you know what it immediately says? Okay, husbands, so husbands also ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Husband, that's your job to pursue holiness, sanctification. No spot, no wrinkle in your bride. Why? Because that's how Christ loves us. It's a big deal. Spotless, without wrinkle. We we seek this in our spouse. Why? Because one day we will be presented to God. We are the bride of Christ. Our, Our marriages are to be distinct from the world, as, as well as every areas, a, aspect of our lives. Look at me, Ephesians 5, what Paul says in verses 1 through 3. They're, they won't come up, just listen to me. Ephesians 5, 1 through 3. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. That's the exact same thing Paul says later in Ephesians 5. An offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But listen to this. This is, this is the, our call but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper for saints it says immorality or any impurity it's improper for it to even be named among you not not that you be guilty of it just it's improper for it even to be named among you that's the call that's holiness holiness here holiness we got to understand it holiness is a gap holiness is not a line we've made holiness out to be a line and it's like okay how close can i get to sin without falling in that's not holiness holiness is a gap holiness is how far can i get from sin so that it's not even named among you that's holiness so, to, so, to, so if someone said, hey, I saw Chad doing this or that, you're like, that is so out of character for Chad. Hey, I saw Scott doing this and that. That makes no possible sense. That's holiness. And again, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, you're owned by a different master. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. Look, look at 2 Corinthians 11 too. For, the, for this picture, beautiful picture Paul gives, 2 Corinthians 11.2, the sacredness and the picture of our marriage. Listen to this. For I am jealous, 2 Corinthians 11.2, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, listen, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid, verse 3, that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray for the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. You see the craftiness, you see Satan's desire is to lead us astray. It's to get us to buy into the world. But what does Paul say? The goal here is to present a pure virgin to Christ. Christ. Not, not, not a bride who, is, who has done everything they can to take everything in of the world they can and then say, oh, okay, Christ, I'm here, here's your bride. No, pure, holy. Same thing that Paul said in Ephesians 5, that he would present to her holy, spotless, having no spot or wrinkle. And marriage and how I love Karen and how she responds to me is, is designed by God to put this covenant relationship between He and I on display. That is why marriage exists. It's a covenant relationship. It is a display And God is preparing you and He is preparing me and He's using me to prepare Karen and two little children, Sarah, Grace and Bradley, and and also this flock to an extended degree. But He is preparing us to be presented to His Son, Jesus Christ. And the goal is that He would present to His Son a pure bride without spot or wrinkle. That's the goal. And that's why He loves us the way He loves us, to, to, to lead us to that that we would be so satisfied in Christ and so satisfied with the love He gives us that any the world has to offer would pale. And that's my job, is to love Karen in such a way that she would have no desire to go anywhere else. She'd have no desire to look anywhere else. And it's the same for her. And again, I get it. The stakes are huge. The responsibility, huge. Huge. But that's the picture. And, and in marriage, you see the covenant-keeping, the relationship, the covenant-keeping picture. Look with me at Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 on the screens. Hebrews 13, okay, okay, I was going to summarize it. But. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, listen to this, here's his character. I will never desert you, nor I will ever forsake you. God says, look, I'm a covenant-keeping God. I made a vow to you. I'll keep it. And and what we need to understand is we don't realize this, but every aspect of your marriage, every aspect of that ceremony points back to a covenant-keeping God. Every aspect. Vows. The fact that, ladies, the fact that you walked down the middle of an aisle, a middle aisle, The husband's family over here. The wife's family over here. You know why you did that? Because it points back to a covenant. God would part two animals and he would walk to it. You go to Genesis 15, you see a picture. It's a covenant. You go to Genesis 12, God says, I will, I will, I will. Guess what you said in your vows? I will, I will, I will. Anybody in here have any if clauses in their vows? No, I've never done a wedding. I've only done one. But they didn't have... They didn't have any if clauses. Ashley, Ashley and Potosi had no if clauses. How about this? Did anybody in their vows base anything on emotion? You know, there's no mention of emotion. No mention of emotion there. Pastor asked you a question, what'd you say? I do or I will. Did you put a time limit on it? Did you say, so long as. And, and see, that's the point. We, we, if we're honest with ourselves, and I own this as a pastor, it, I have done marriage counseling and never not the ceremonies for whatever, but the, the, the responsibility is huge. And I try to hold that up. Think about, think about your vows for a moment. Think about your vows for a moment. Just typical. You may have written your own. You, you say... Uh, I, Chris Basham, take thee, Karen, to be my lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward. What did you say? Richer or poorer? Did anybody put a guideline to say, hey, poorer only up to this far? Poor. Now, I don't get crazy with poorer. Don't get crazy. No, you said richer or poorer. How poor? How poor? Most of your marriages, you know why they end? Finances. Finances. How about, how about this one? Sickness and health. How sick? Health has never been a problem to marriage. Sickness has. And, and by the grace of God, I've watched many of you walk your loved ones through sickness that, that you would never imagined when you said that and you stayed faithful. You know, not, not to embarrass, and, and it goes... It goes way beyond just... But I watched Bill Jones every week make phone calls arranging platelet donors for his wife, Kathy Jones, for years. Years. Arranging platelet donors to go sit there and have their blood taken out of them, take the platelets out and then put them back so that his wife could live. And by the grace of God, she beat cancer. And then I watched Kathy Jones do the very same thing to her husband, Bill. And unfortunately, he he went home to be with his Lord and Savior because of a brain tumor. But they honored their vows. They weren't thinking about that when they got married, but they stuck to their vows. They said, sickness and in health, I'm here, you can count on me. It's a covenant. And that's what God does for us. Guess what? I'm sick. I'm eat up with sin. I'm a terrible spouse to Christ. Unworthy to the core. And yet He loves me. Yet He loves me. And and we're on a stage, guys. We're on stage showing off off God's covenant, keeping, character, and nature. And and this responsibility is huge. God is on display in my marriage. And, and, And in my own personal, personal quiet times. I'm I'm studying through Isaiah right now, and and I see so many parallels. You see a people who have put God in a box, who can't understand God is doing what he's doing, who can't understand how God is using what he's using to form and forge a people. But and, and, and but what you see more than anything, Isaiah takes them back to a picture of God that is high and lifted up, whose train fills the temple the thing that Isaiah continually takes them back to is a picture of a great and mighty God, a mighty God that is beyond compare. That's what Isaiah takes them back to time and time. He's not one of many gods. He is the God. He's not like us. He is unlike us. Isaiah, the people continually try to lower him down to our level, and you know what Isaiah is doing throughout the whole book? He's lifting him back up to where he belongs, high and lifted up, separate from us. He's not lowered down to our level. He has given us what we could never achieve on our own, and that is salvation. That is forgiveness for our sins. And you know what he says? Go live it out in glad servanthood. Go live it out in glad servanthood. And we need to see God and his greatness that he is good, that he alone is what the world needs. That, that we have in these scriptures a God who is totally trustworthy, and that no matter what, he's good. No matter what, He's good. And then respond to that. We will not serve Him the way we ought until we see Him as good. Until we see Him as who He really is. And it's then that I can trust Him because He's good. It's then that I can fall on my face and submit to Him because He's worthy. And He is our Master in all, in all respects. Even my marriage. He is my Master. He makes the calls. I am to follow Him. And I challenge us, I show us this because I challenge us. No, here's the deal. No matter what has happened yesterday and every day before, we can't do anything about that. But we serve a God who says, where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. Start today. Maybe, maybe you, this is the first time you're hearing this. Start today making your marriage more about God and His glory than you and your happiness. Start today. That's the, that's the greatness of the God we serve, that we can start today. We can repent and start today. If we've made mistakes in the past and done things that... that, Some of us are sitting here and had people do things to us that we had no control over. Vow to not let it happen again. That's all you can do. Vow to not let it happen again. commit today to start glorifying God through your marriage, to seeking to glorify God through your marriage. That 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 spouse that God gave you is to be a conduit of blessing, of the character that you've received, throw it on them. And in doing so, show a lost world about the greatness of God, the glory of God. And, And the question you have to ask yourself is this. The question God has been asking me as I'm studying through this is this. Is God worth it to you? Is His glory worth it to you? Is God being made much of in my life, is it worth whatever it might cost me? That's the question. And I pray that He is. And it will be a constant battle. Hear me, every single day when I wake up, there's going to be a battle to make my life about me or to make my life about God. Every single day. And I pray that we'd be a people, including our marriages, that make it about God. And that leads to the final question. What is marriage? Who designed marriage? What was it designed for? Here's the last question. What should we believe about divorce? At the core. At the core. And here's why I word it that way. Regardless of what's been done to us in the past. Regardless of what we've done in the past. I don't want us to have a careless, casual attitude about divorce. I want us just to feel about it the same way that God feels about it. That's all I'm saying. I'm not condemning I'm not, I'm not saying you're beyond because that's, that's, that's untrue. That's untrue biblically. We serve a great God that no matter what, no matter where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. But we need to commit to have an attitude about divorce that's not casual, that aligns up with the Bible. And, and if marriage is what we've said it is, and I hope you've seen that in the Scriptures, we, we need to ask our what what should be the conclusion about my marriage? And God has committed to us through thick or thin. And see, it's real easy for us to go to say, well, well, I've never done this or I've never done that. The reality is where I'm convicted is even when I see what marriage is meant to be, even a blah marriage falls short. See, even, even a marriage that just says, Well, I'll just stick it out. I'll just grin and bear it. Just my just something I gotta do. That's my ministry. That that's not. That's not how Christ deals with us. He pursues us. He he doesn't just tolerate us. He doesn't just put up with us. He pursues us. And He makes sure we're growing. See, it's not just ending a divorce. It's everything that leads up to that. Sin started way back here. See, it started way back here. And that's what I'm trying to prevent us from even going near here. If I can stop us way back here, we don't even get to here. See, we're stopped way back here. And, and that's this is what that's what what makes going what makes a blah marriage, what makes a ho hum marriage, what makes just going through the motions in a marriage, and even what makes divorce. What what makes them so tragic is they misrepresent. It misrepresents the love. That God has. And divorce at its core, we're talking about that specifically, is a misrepresentation. That's why it's tragic. It falls short of God's glory. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Sin is falling short of the glory of God. And, and again, it's true of all sin. the reason we have this word here is because these commands are not arbitrary. They're not random. God is showing us his character. The reason why he says be merciful, why? Because he's merciful. The reason why he calls me to love my enemy is because he loved his enemy and his name was Chris Basham. The reason why he tells me to to, to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice is because he does that. And in Malachi 2.16, God says, I hate divorce. He doesn't say I hate the divorcee. He hates the divorce. Why? Because it's a misrepresentation. It's a misrepresentation. It's telling the world something about him that's not true. And 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 I've given you some areas here that it misrepresents. Divorce misrepresents God's purposes. We're going to talk about that in a second. It misrepresents his power, It, it misrepresents his commands, and it misrepresents his character. And again, the purpose of marriage, Christ has promised, I'll never leave you or forsake you. The goal there for my marriage is to portray that. Again, divorce, it it, it thwarts that. It, it runs the risk, at best, of telling the world, the unbelievers out there, that you you can be capable of Christ walking out on His commitment to you. Because believers are walking out on their commitment. That's what we run the risk of telling the world. That, 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 Our relationship with Christ is not secure. That is not permanent. That's the risk we take. Regarding God's power, Luke one thirty seven says, All things, nothing, nothing will be impossible with God. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do far more exceedingly beyond anything we ask or think, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. To have a blah, ho-hum, and even end a marriage says to the contrary of that. It runs the risk of telling telling the world that God is impotent. That He's not omnipotent. Uh, Look look with me at Luke 6, as far as God's commands. Luke 6, verses 27-36. through But I say to you who hear, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. I Treat others the same way you want to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great and you will be the sons of the Most High. For He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. The point is that's God's character. And to not do those things in marriage is a misrepresentation of his character. It's a misrepresentation. Because Karen ought to be the first recipient of that. She ought to be the first recipient of that from me. Not only that, you look at 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20, we know that God has given us a ministry of reconciliation. God's heart, His desire is reconciliation. That's what He's done to you and me. He has taken us who are far off, sent His Son to die that He would bring them near. We've been reconciled to God. And my job is, and your job is to go show that character off to the world. And when we, when we don't pursue this first in marriage, me, we, we, we misrepresent God. We misrepresent Him. And again, I'm not. it runs through all of our lives. All of us are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm simply calling us to the standard. I want us to live up to the standard. Look with me at Colossians 2, just to show you a picture of what a great God we serve. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. This is what God did for us. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You see what God did for you and me? He took all of my sins, all of your sins, the record of the debt that I owed Him because of my sin, and you know what? He nailed it to the cross, and on the top of it, He stamped, forgiven. Forgiven. And you know what He tells me to do? Chris, go do likewise. Go do likewise. But, but it didn't stop there. It wasn't like God just forgave me and then left. He took me in. Look at Colossians 3, verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience that that's the character of God bearing with one another and forgiving each other whoever has a complaint just as your Lord forgave you so also should you again it's a character it's the character of God and the bottom line is this we have been forgiven much we have been forgiven much go and do likewise that's Christianity bottom line We have been forgiven much, go do likewise. And it starts in our marriages. And I realize, again, we live in a state, and I deal with the consequences of that myself, that that people can just walk out. There's abuse, there's drugs, there's all kinds of stuff. I'm not at all saying just sit there and be beaten or anything like that. I, I would be the first to tell you, get out. Separate. But try to seek it redemptively. Try to figure out with all your might, is, is there any way to salvage this to the glory of God? Is there any way? You, you might say there's not. I, I'm not going to judge you on that, but my heart would say, is there any way to salvage this to the glory of God? And that's what I want us to be seeing. Not looking for ways to get out, but looking for ways to salvage it to the glory of God. Because our, our covenant keeping with our spouse is as important as telling the truth about God and His covenant. It is our way of evangelizing and how we lead our marriages. And marriage, again, the world would tell you this, marriage is not primarily about staying in love. Marriage is primarily about telling the truth with our lives about the gospel. It's not about staying in love. It's it's marriage is me giving to Karen what I have already received from God. That's marriage. It it was meant to put the gospel on display every day. And, and, And again... My, my, the permanence of my relationship with Karen and your relationship with your spouse can't be based on another sinner's ability not to sin. Hear me. Because guess what? My relationship with Jesus Christ is not based on my ability not to sin. It's based on what He's done. It's based on the cross. And, and God's love for me is not based on my performance for Him. And, and we are recipients of God's grace, and we're to extend that grace outwards. And, and hear me as I close. If you're sitting here convicted, you're in good company, because I, I have to study this stuff for weeks. I, I'm convicted. I haven't always had my marriage like this. By the grace of God, Karen's stuck in there with me. And, and I know that there's stuff in here that there's terrible things have been done to you, and, I, and I'm not condemning you. I'm not judging you for decisions you've, been, you've made. I'm simply saying, let's hold the bar up high. By the grace of God, let's hold the bar up high and let's seek God's best. Are we going to fall short? We are. Let's be there for one another, pick ourselves up and keep marching on. That, that's, not, that's not being casual with grace, not being flippant with grace, it's being gracious because God is gracious. That's what I want us to be as a church. That seeks the best. That seeks the standard. I, 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 I would love nothing more. Hear me. My flesh would love nothing more than to water down these truths. And, and in the short run, that would help me be popular. But in the long run, guess what? That would be hurtful to you. So in the short run, I'm going to stand here and call sin what it is. And it may cost us in the short run. But in the long, time, in the long run, guess what? We're going to have marriages that are built on the rock. We're going to have marriages that, Lord willing, stand the test and stand the enemy's attacks. Because if we water down the truth now, we won't stay in it. And that would make me very popular today to tell you what you want to hear, but it will not make me a very faithful pastor down the road. So I pray, I pray that you will hear my heart. We, the question becomes this as we apply this. And all of us in who are married, if you're in here and you're not married... I'm challenging you, be careful who you marry. Be careful who you marry. You, the, 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 the standard is high. And you can look at Matthew 19 10. And when Jesus explained the, the, to the disciples the standard of marriage, you know what they said? If the relationship between a husband and wife is that way, it's better not to be married. Why? Because the standard's high. It's high. And if you're here today and you are married, please know that I'll be your biggest fan. I'll do everything I can to help you. But here's the question you have to ask yourself. Right now, how well is my marriage portraying the gospel? How well is my marriage portraying the gospel right now? Is my marriage about me and my needs? Or is my marriage a way for me to serve somebody else and in doing so picture the gospel? That's the question. If, if you're sitting here today and you, you're thinking, man, I, I, I've made it all about me, repent. Repent. Start today making it about Christ. Start today making it about God. And, and if your spouse comes to you, I would encourage you to go to your spouse and ask their forgiveness. And if your spouse comes to you and does that, I would beg you to forgive them. And I would beg the two of you to start today making your marriage about the gospel, whatever it takes. There, there is grace to be found wherever you are today in your marriage. Wherever you are, there's grace. And I pray that you would call upon that grace. The challenge for all of us is this. When we're confronted with our sin, when we're confronted, and that's what the Bible does. The Bible is a mirror. It, it, it looks me dead in the face and it points out areas of my sin. The tendency is to run. The tendency is to run from God. And I am challenge you to run to God. When confronted with your sin, when confronted in all the areas that we all fall short, run to God. Run to God. Because there is grace to be found wherever you find yourself today. Wherever you find yourself today, there is grace. And Satan wants us to feel discarded. He wants us to feel unredeemable. He wants to feel like we're beyond God. And here's the good news of this Bible. That's not the God I see in this Bible. The great news is this. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done... There is forgiveness where there is repentance and God is gracious. He's gracious. Where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. Forgetting what lies behind, pressing forward to what lies ahead. Start today.